0: There is no other book in which there is to be found more express and magnificent commendations, both of the unparalleled liberality of God towards his church and of all his works. There is no other book in which there is recorded so many deliverances, nor one in which the evidences and experiences of fatherly providence and solicitude which God exercises towards us are celebrated with such splendor of diction and yet with the strictest adherence to truth. In short, there is no other book in which we are more perfectly taught the right manner of praising God, or in which we are more powerfully stirred up to the performance of this religious exercise. These are the words of John Calvin in his commentary on the Psalms. One reason why I read this quote wasn't just because it was long and sounded really cool, but it expresses Calvin's love of the Psalms. He loved the Psalms so much that he supervised the versification of the entire Psalms, which is putting the Psalms to music, or putting them to singing. more more accurately. There are many good reasons why he loved the Psalms, and we will be getting into some of those this morning. Like I said, we'll be looking at the Psalms as a whole, and we'll talk about reading, praying, and singing the Psalms. There's nowhere near enough time to really adequately cover this topic, but we'll do our best, and I hope that you're encouraged by it. I will be reading big big sections of some of the Psalms, so if you want to follow along, you can. I will be using the ESV, so if it's easier to just listen, Feel free to do that as well. First, what are the Psalms? The Psalms are a collection of 150 poems. In devotional by Davis Carmen, he says the Hebrew title of the book means Songs of Praise. Or in Greek, it means Sacred Songs Sung to Musical Accompaniment. In this devotional, Carmen points out that the Psalms are broken up into five books. The first book consists of Psalm 1 through 41, and it emphasizes how God is beside us. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. It's a good example of God being beside us. Book 2 is Psalm 42 through 72, and it is about how God goes before us. He has opened the way to salvation and guides us there. David confesses his sin in Psalm 51 and pleads with the Lord to wash away his transgressions and create in him a clean heart. Book 3 is Psalm 73 through 89 and is about how God is all around us. In Psalm 78, Asaph recounts the history of God's people, showing us that God has been at work the whole time and urges Israel to teach their children about the Lord. Book 4 is Psalm 90 through 106. It is how God is above us. In Psalm 90, Moses speaks of how our lives on this earth are brief, so we need to number our days right. Whereas God, on the other hand, is eternal, and he will reign forever and ever. Book 5 is the final book, and it's Psalm 107 through 150. We see how God is among us. Carmen says a good example of this is in Psalm 128, how it paints a beautiful picture of a man who fears God. He is happy and blessed. His wife is like a fruitful vine within the home. And his children are like olive plants around the table, and he shall see peace and posterity in his nation, prosperity in his nation. Sorry. Carmen mentions in, the, in his devotional that each book also ends in a doxology, an expression of praise to God, such as Psalm 41, ending with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Or Psalm 106, ending with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, I know we just blew right through that. That could be a whole Sunday school curriculum right there. But I wanted to to just lay out a brief summary of what the Psalms are about before getting a little more detailed. As we have seen, the Psalms cover a lot of ground. Calvin wrote of the Psalms. There is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as in a mirror. By this, he means that every emotion that a Christian will feel in this life can be found here in the Psalms. Joy, sadness, anxiety. And Stephen Nichols expresses this thought in a a tabletop ah, article he wrote about Luther and the Psalms. He says, The psalmists rival any of the great blues men and women. They could sing in the minor key. Utter despair is found in the psalms. The psalms also resound in a major key. Pure joy is in the psalms. Everything between despair and joy can be found, too. Success and victory are in the psalms. Defeat and desolation are in the psalms. The vagaries of human experiences and of human emotion is in the psalms. Luther once said that the psalms are a little Bible wherein everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended. In the article by Nichols, he writes that by studying Luther on the Psalms, we can learn three ways of reading the Psalms. We read the Psalms to see ourselves, to see Christ, and to see God. One of my favorite examples of seeing ourselves is it is in the Psalms is Psalm 13. So please turn there in your Bibles. It's the handout you have is arranged differently. So please turn to Psalm 13 in your Bible. I love this psalm so much that me and my family sing it at home for family worship. Last year, my communion meditation was based around this psalm. It reads, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here we see an example of what Nichols meant by the Psalmist rival any of the great blues, men and women. If we are being honest, we see ourselves here, do we not? How many of us have gone through a trial that makes us feel like God has forgotten us? But it is also an example of the major key that Nichols mentions. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Maybe you remember the joy you felt coming out of that trial, or the peace you felt when you put your trust in the Lord. In the, in the middle of that trial. We see ourselves throughout all the Psalms, our worries, our cries, our faults, but thankfully we are never left there. Now, seeing ourselves in the Psalms doesn't always mean seeing exactly what the psalmist is going through. doesn't mean we're going through the exact same thing he's going through. Sometimes it's more of a reminder or a lesson of how we should think or act. Psalm 118, five through 9 says, "...out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man." It is better to take refuge in the Lord to trust in princes. And then verses 14 through 17 says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly, but the right hand hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. So you see, seeing yourself in the Psalms doesn't always mean reading and saying, Hey, I went through that exact same thing, which does happen from time to time. But it's more about seeing how we should be, it's seeing examples of how we should act. We should strive to be the psalmist. When you're in distress, call on the Lord. Be confident that He is on your side and you will not fear, just like the psalmist. Take refuge in the Lord when you're in distress. When salvation comes from the Lord, sing his praises and be loud and vocal about his deeds that he has done in your life. Be a witness to what the Lord has done for you. Though we can see ourselves and examples of how we should be in the Psalms, the psalmist always reminds us that just as we see ourselves, we can see Christ. There are many, many examples of Christ in the Psalms, but I want to spend some time on Psalm 22. Psalm 22. So please turn to Psalm 22. We will be reading the entire thing. I think this psalm is a perfect example of everything we talked about so far. Christ even quotes Psalm 22 when he is on the cross. So keep that in mind as we read this. Verse 1 through 18 reads, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. It is true and very important to remember that when Christ says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That it is an expression of his humanity in the distance he felt from the Father. But it is also important to understand that when he quoted Psalm 22, he was fulfilling Psalm 22. All those horrible things that we just read, that was Christ on the cross. But remember, just as defeat and desolation are in the Psalms, so is success and victory Verses 19 through 31 read, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. and all the families of the nations shall worship you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who cannot keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Talk about a key change. We started off with defeat and desolation and ended with success and victory. If Christ's death was prophesied in Psalm 22, which it clearly was, so was the victory of Christ. Think of the book of Acts, the apostles going out and the gospel going to all the nations. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Think of the Gentiles being saved. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. In this psalm, I think we can see the entire plan of redemption. Not only was the psalmist saying, This is how the Messiah will die, he was also saying, This is how the Messiah will save his people. When Christ was on the cross, it's like he was saying, Just as this is happening right now, verses 1 through 18, the crucifixion, this will surely happen next, verse 19 through 31, the salvation of all the nations. When I was younger, it amazed me how spot-on the description of the crucifixion was until I got into my head that, yeah, it's spot-on because God wrote it. God planned it. It's like if you were watching a movie and you were amazed that the main character had all this action happening around them. The writers wrote it that way. God wrote history this way. He wrote salvation this way. He planned it. This is just one example of seeing Christ in the Psalms. There are so many, many more but that would be an entire sermon series. We've seen an example of seeing ourselves in the Psalms and seeing Christ. Now let's see God. And by seeing God in the Psalms, I mean seeing the Trinity in the Psalms, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit as well. Now, Psalm 22 is already a good example of seeing the Father and the Son in in, in the Psalms. Another good example of seeing them both is Psalm 110. It says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Some people may say this is just God talking to a lesser Lord. He doesn't say Jesus in it. But in verse 4, we read, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Remember, we are reading with New Testament eyes in Hebrews 5.10. Speaking of Jesus, we're reading New Testament eyes, and in Hebrews 5.10, speaking of Jesus, the author says, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So Psalm 110 is God talking to Jesus. In Psalm 51, 7 through 11, we read, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. In the Gospels, we see Jesus mentioning that he will send a helper to believers and that helper is the Holy Spirit. So this is just one example of being able to see the Holy Spirit shortly, but there's one example of it. There is so, so much more we can bring up about this topic, seeing the Father, Son, and the Spirit in the Psalms. And honestly, I feel a little bit lazy ending it there. But I want to get to some of the daily applications of the Psalms. Now, what are some of the daily applications of the Psalms? Of course, reading them, memorizing them. But I want to talk to you about two of them this morning, and that's praying and singing. First, we'll talk about praying. I highly recommend a book called Praying the Bible by Donald S. Whitney. In this book, you will read everything I'm about to say, but in much better detail and put better. Whitney says, God gave the Psalms to us so we can give the Psalms back to God. He says that it is as if God is saying, you don't know how to praise me, at least not in a way that is fully true and pleasing to me. In fact, you know nothing about me unless I reveal it to you, for I am invisible to you. Therefore, since I want you to praise me and it is good for you to praise me, But since you don't know how to praise me, here are the words I want you to use. When we pray the Psalms, we know we are praying the will of God because we are using His Word. We don't have to worry about praying something improper. It keeps the Word of God in our mind because praying is an intimate activity. When we pray the Psalms, we are applying the Psalms to our lives and making them personal to us. We will never run out of stuff to say. How many times have you been in the middle of a prayer, and you go, "Uh, um, Lord, just help us love you, and you kind of trail off, and then you realize you just asked him that two sentences before, but if you stop your prayer now, it's going to only be 45 seconds long. Not that there's anything wrong with a short prayer, but when you pray the Psalms, sometimes you can just keep on praying, and you feel like you can pray forever. Again, I'll use Psalm 113 as an example of this. Now, this is just an example. If you find it better to read the whole psalm than pray, that's fine. But the basic idea is you read a verse or two and pray the first thing that the Lord brings to your mind. So this is a prayer that I made a little bit earlier this week, just as an example. You could go, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Lord, help me to feel your presence. Help me to remember that you do not forget your children and that you have not left or forgotten me. Help me not to be overcome with sorrow. Preserve me, Lord, from those who are against me and you. Amen. Consider me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Lord, hear my cries. Help me to see your work. Help me not fall into despair. Help me not to show weakness to the world. Help those who persecute us to see that, we, that they have not beaten us. Help me to be a good witness to those who do not know you. Amen. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Lord, thank you for your steadfast love. Help me to trust in you. Help me to always look towards you and rejoice in all you have done for me. Lord, thank you for the salvation you have gifted me and help me to be, con- be content in all you have done for me. Amen. Now, you can wait till the end of the psalm to say amen, or you can treat each verse like it's its own separate little prayer and say an amen after each time. It's really up to you and what you're comfortable with. I have found that when I do these prayers on my own, I have to kind of whisper them to myself out loud. Because if I, if I just try to do it all in my head, my mind starts to wander. So there's a lot of... You have a lot of freedom in praying this way, just by, just by how you're comfortable. And this is a good way to free up your prayers, so to speak. At first, you might feel kind of bound to the Psalms. Like you have to pray exactly what the Psalm is saying. But in reality, you just pray the first thing that the Lord brings to your heart. I have found that my normal prayers have benefited greatly from this practice. My prayers with my family at bedtime have gotten better, quote-unquote better, because I'm not just reciting a prayer that I use at bedtime. I'm able to be more in the moment with my prayers. I still have my basic phrases and prayers that I say every night so I don't forget them, but I am more comfortable at branching out, and I don't really know how to express it, but it feels different it feels like I can feel the Spirit more. It feels like I'm talking to God more than just sending Him requests and thanks. Another great resource on this book by Luther is is a book by Luther called A Simple Way to Pray, where Luther teaches this, but by using the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, and the Apostles' Creed. So you're not just bound to the Psalms in in doing this practice. You can actually read the entire Bible this way, if you prefer, The Psalms are just kind of an easier path to go about it because a lot of them are prayers and praises to the Lord. The book by Luther, it's a cheap, short book, and you'll be glad you read it. Now, we get to one of my favorite applications of the Psalms, and that's the singing. The Psalms were meant to be sung. God gave Israel the Psalms to sing praises to him. When we sing the Psalms... We don't have to worry about singing heresy, like a lot of stuff you hear on the radio. But we don't have to worry about singing heresy because it's God's word. We don't have to worry about your song being good enough for God because it was inspired by God. And you'll never get bored singing the psalms because you have 150 songs to sing. And many of those can be split up into multiple songs. When we sing the psalms, we are singing the same songs that Israel sang think about that. We are singing the same songs that David sang, that Paul sang, and that Christ himself sang. We are sharing songs with saints throughout all of history. If you're like me, you have had trouble memorizing text. I have always struggled memorizing scripture verses, speeches, and even poems, but I can remember some of the songs I used to sing when I was eight years old. Singing is a great way to memorize scripture. It is great for family worship, and if you have had trouble figuring out a good routine for family worship, you aren't alone. Whitney, who I mentioned when talking about praying the Bible, also wrote a book on family, on family worship. And he mentions that you don't have to make family worship complicated. You don't have to have lesson plans or mini sermons typed out. Especially with small, with small children, he says to keep it short. Read one chapter in the Bible, pray, and then sing. That is what my family started doing for family worship, and we have benefited greatly from it. It's gotten to the point where my children can actually quote a few verses of the Psalms now. We'll ask Emma what she wants to sing, and a lot of the time she'll say, The eternal Lord doth reign is king, let all the people quake. He sits between the cherubims, let the earth be moved and shake. She likes really long titles. <laughs> and that's the first verse of Psalm 99. Sometimes Braden will just shout, All people, over and over and over and over until we sing Psalm 100. So I highly encourage you to make singing the psalms a regular activity, especially if you have small children, because singing the psalms will help implant the Word of God in your heart and mind, just as praying the psalms will. If you can sing some psalms and memorize them, you can recall them when you're in difficult situations, whether it's a trial or temptation. You'll have the Word of God at the ready to help you through any of those situations. Now, if you just open up your Bible to your favorite psalm and try to sing it, you'll probably run into some trouble. The psalms aren't arranged in our Bibles for singing. The way the translation comes out into English just doesn't fit well in the song. But thankfully, there are some very helpful resources that I want to show you that will help you to sing the psalms. One is using our hymnal, and then I have two more. I have this little book right here. It's called The Psalms of David in Meter. And in this book, it has all 150 psalms, including all of Psalm 119. And there's a phone app that you can get that's almost the exact same thing as this book. And it's called the 1650 Psalter. I think it's done by Splitleaf. And it has all 150 psalms, and it even has some tunes that you can listen to to help you sing and help you learn the tunes. If you want to know more about these two resources, please come talk to me, and I'll be happy to show you them. In here... In the Psalms of David, by and the Psalms of David in meter, um, all the psalms are arranged in what's called common meter, and that means they're arranged. So that means that the words have been moved around or abbreviated so that it fits in the common meter. And you might be wondering, what is common meter? Well, meter refers to the number of syllables in a line. So please look at the handout that I gave you, and that will be. This is what we're going to use as an example. You'll see that common meter, so this psalm, Psalm 13, this is arranged in common meter, and you'll see that it is four alternating lines of eight and six. So the first line will be eight syllables, next one will be six, next eight, and then next six. And then it repeats that for however long the song is. And you can notice how the words have been changed in Psalm 13. They haven't been changed. They've been rearranged or a different translation has been used to make them rhyme, so you can put them to music a little bit easier, to make it more singable. So, if you count, if you count out, you got how long wilt thou forget me, Lord? Eight syllables. Shall it forever be six? Oh, how long shall it be that thou wilt hide thy face from me? Well, I kind of counted that wrong, but that's eight. <laughs> you get the point. If you count it properly, it will be 8-6-8-6. And there's different types of meters. Um, Psalm 100, we sing that to long meter, which is all eight. Each line is eight syllables. There's a few hymns. I don't know if they're in here, but there's a few hymns that are in short meter, which is all six. So common meter is just alternating between eight and six. So now that we've seen an example in the Psalms of how it can be put to common meter, I want to show you an example from our hymnal That will show common meter and also an example of how to read our hymnal. So please take a copy of your hymnal and turn it to hymn 26. You don't have to stand. Just turn to hymn 26. Our God, our help in ages past. At home, we like to sing Psalm 99 to this tune. We think it fits very well. The top left corner, so we're looking at the first tune. The top left corner of the hymn, you'll see the author, of the lyrics, which is Isaac Watts, which we have a great book about Isaac Watts in our church library called Isaac Watts Remembered, if you ever want to learn more about him. And in the top right corner, you'll see a couple of things. You'll see the name of the tune, the meter of the hymn, and the composer of the music. For this hymn, the tune is St. Anne. The CM is what is uh, referring to common meter, which is the 8686 lines. And the composer is ascribed to William Croft in 1708. And so, our God, our help in ages past, if you count it out. Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. It's kind of hard to say those and not sing them, right? Like, to do it to the rhythm. (laughs) So, if you know this tune, and... Even if you don't know this tune, if you get that phone app, this tune is in there, I checked. So you can play it, you can listen to it, learn how to sing it. And if you know this tune, you can take this book and sing all 150 psalms to that tune. So that's a great resource. You could even sing Psalm 13 to that tune if you want. However, at home, we have found that certain tunes tend to match better with certain psalms. The mood of the tune can really get you into the the spirit of the psalm a little bit more. So for Psalm 13, we like to sing um, How Sweet and Awful is the Place, which is Hymn 271. The mood just seems to fit a little bit better. It's a little bit slower, and you just feel it a little bit more. Whereas we like to sing Psalm 145 to the hymn O Lord by Thee Delivered, because it's robust and more powerful. It's more upbeat, and it just fits the psalm a little bit more. So with these few resources... The whole book of Psalms is just waiting to be sung. And the cool thing is, if you do it this way, you aren't just learning the Psalms. You're learning the tunes to hymns that we sing here in church. It's almost like practice. Emma will actually hum some of these tunes at home. And sometimes... um, and we'll actually hum these tunes at home sometimes. And even while we sing them here in church, she'll hum the melody along with us because she is now familiar with the tunes. Once you start doing this, pay attention to the hymns that we sing in church. Check the meter in the top right corner. If it says CM, write down write, write down the tune, write down the, the hymn number, and pretty soon you'll have a whole list of hymns, of tunes that you can sing the Psalms to. And if you have time, and you want to explore, and you have one of these hymnals at home, I'll show you how you can explore the hymnal. If you turn to page 699 in the hymnal, not hymn 699, but page 699, it's in the back. And you'll find the page number at the bottom of the page. The top of the page will say, Metrical Index of Tunes. Look in the section, bottom left corner of that page there's a section that says CM. And look at all of those tunes that you have there. All of those tunes are just waiting to be sung with, with the Psalms. The number of options you have is almost overwhelming, so you have to take your time. The ones that say CMD just mean they're common meter double. So instead of four lines alternating between eight and six syllables, it's eight lines of alternating. So sometimes those tunes will fit certain psalms better. Like Psalm 145 fits a common meter double tune a lot better than some of the shorter psalms do. So if you take, I'm not a mathematician, but if you take the number of psalms you have in this book, and then you take the number of common meter tunes we have in our hymnal, you get around 10,050 different combinations. And if you want to include the common meter tunes that have a repeat, a refrain, or a common meter double, that number jumps up to 15,600 different combinations. And that has to be enough to keep you from getting bored, right? So I hope this isn't going too fast. And if you want to know more, please come talk to me. When I first learned about this book, I got super excited. Anytime I read a psalm, that hit me in any kind of way, my first response was like, oh, I want to go sing that. I want to learn what tune, can, what tune can be put to that. It's very exciting, especially if you are into music in that way. So I hope that wasn't too much, too fast. My family has been greatly blessed by singing the Psalms. I have been greatly blessed by praying the Psalms. And I hope that if you try this, that you'll be blessed as well. It's God's songbook. It's God's prayer book. And you can never go wrong by singing and praying God's words back to God. I hope this was helpful for you. Thank you.